I want to give you a perspective of yourself this morning. But not just as individuals, but as a whole church. Um, Pete has often stood here and said, you know, he's had the forerunner word at least nine times. I think it is nine times, isn't it? It's not just Pete that's the forerunner, is it? We as a church are forerunners. And a forerunner is very simple. It's somebody who goes ahead and prepares the way for something else. It's interesting, isn't it? And it just so happens that I was given the uh, chapter in Luke where we're looking at the story of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, of course, was a forerunner of Jesus. And so all we're going to do, God's already sent the fire, and it was Jesus, sorry, it was John, who in each gospel says that, you know, Jesus will come and he'll baptize you. I'm baptizing you in water, but he'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. (laughs) I couldn't have ordered the fire today. Well, in a kind of way, you can. Because we can encourage the fire to come, and God loves to come when we invite him. So in that sense, we're not passive uh, people when it comes to the fire, are we? But God's brought the fire today just to remind us that we need the fire of the Holy Spirit. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet, then see me afterwards and we'll sort it out. Or see somebody afterwards and sort it out. Come on, keep going with that, because I love, I love preaching into the, hey, whoa, yeah, woo-hoo, yeah, <laughs> at least as a preacher you know something's going on. <laughs> so let's look at Luke chapter 3, shall we? Quick rustle of tablets. Luke chapter 3 reads like this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Eritrea and Trachonitis, and Lasanius Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. Why is Luke being so precise? Well, if you, um, actually, can we have the first slide up? That is the first slide. We'll have the second slide. (laughs) Why is Luke positioning John in history like this? Well, he told us in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, this is the last bit of that, he wrote Luke's gospel so that you may know, writing to his friend Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of things that you have been taught. Say with me, certainty. I want certainty. We all want certainty, don't we? We need certainty. And one of the aims of this morning is to make you certain of your prophetic destiny. As a church, particularly. In that dream of the church and the kingdom lies your individual destiny. But this morning, particularly, I want to talk about our destiny as a church. We are a forerunner church. And if John the Baptist is a forerunner, then we can learn from him how to be an effective forerunner, can't we? It's exciting, isn't it? Where's that fire? Is it still there? All right. 
And it sounds rather silly, isn't it? But, you know, God loves to do things in history. It is his story. Right? It's his story. He loves to do things in history. He loves to make history. You and I are making history. Yesterday, I was at my father-in-law's house, and he took out an autograph book of uh, his mother-in-law. And his mother-in-law used to collect autographs of all sorts of people. She was in the Salvation Army, and she actually had William Booth's signature or autograph. William Booth, great spiritual hero of mine, his movement caused me to be born again. I became a Christian through the Salvation Army. So it was kind of special. So saying to that, uh, I was at Pete's last night, so you know, it was, that's the nearest I've ever been to William Booth. <laughs> Just sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? But you know, we do the weird here. We're sensible, really, but we do weird things. And uh, I was just feeling, this This is where William Booth signed his thing. And Pete, with his Holy Spirit hat on, said, did you get any impartation? I said, well, no, not, not particularly. But it was... <laughs> you know, William Booth went round. William Booth had all kinds of signatures. He changed the nation. He changed our nation, and he ch- his movement changed many nations. What's our signature? at least one of them is that we are forerunners in this nation. Right? So you can take your pen home, take your pen home, take your pen when you're home and write that down somewhere. We are forerunners in the nation. We say it together. We are forerunners in the nation. You see, if we really believe this, we should believe it. strange thing about Christians is they believe all sorts of things, but they don't really believe them. You know what I mean by that. We can be sort of a bit half-hearted in what we believe, can't we? But God is calling us to believe what he says about us. Interestingly, John does exactly the same. Let's just read on. As he is written in the book of the word, sorry, verse 3, he went into all the country around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert. Notice that's in the second person, isn't it? A voice, somebody describing somebody else. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all mankind We'll see God's salvation. Now, you turn over to John chapter 1, verse 23. And you have John the Baptist actually talking about these verses. These verses were written for the one that was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. But John picks it up in chapter, what, in John's uh, gospel, chapter 1, verse 23, when he's being asked who he is. Well, in verse 21, they say, they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they asked, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now look at this. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am. Luke 3 verse 4 and uh, Isaiah 40 verses 3 and 5, if you went back to it, it says, a voice of one calling in the desert. John 1.23 says, John quoting it, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. 
make straight the way for the Lord. Is John misquoting scripture? No, he's taken that scripture and he's made it his own. He is the voice calling in the desert, isn't he? But that's exactly what we do with so much of Scripture and so much, well, exactly what we don't do with much of Scripture and much of the prophetic words we hear into our lives. We know they're true, but have we really made them our own? And there's actually a very significant change that takes place in you about your identity and about your faith when you say, I am something. For John, it's I am the voice in the wilderness. For me, God gave me a revelation of my name, David. I am David. You say, well, that's very obvious. Yeah, but David means loved by God. I am David, pure and simple, loved by God. That's my starting point. That's my being. That's who I am. Even if I do a duff sermon this morning, I'm still loved by God. <laughs> hey, I can still enjoy lunch. <laughs> I'll be beavering away to make sure this evening's better. (laughs) Whatever has been prophesied into you, at some point you've got to take it on board. And here's the perfect example of John who's absolutely convinced about who he is. Now we look at this with historical eyes and we look backwards and we think, well, yeah, John the Baptist, he's famous. He did all that stuff, you know, he's written about in the Bible, I mean, he's... Next to Jesus and Paul, perhaps he's the best known person around. Uh, Even the Baptists, you know, there's a whole denomination, not named after him, but at least the the, the name Baptist is kind of out there, isn't it? He's a well-known character, but at one time he wasn't. At one time he was a rather strange guy that wandered around the desert eating honey and, what was the other thing? Locusts, yeah, and, and wearing skin clothes. Weird. I mean... He wouldn't be allowed into most churches. (laughs) And yet we just know him now. We know the end of the story. We know that he's a forerunner to Jesus. But John, when he's asked, he already has that assurance of who he is. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. It's me. And if I am who I am, then there's somebody coming after me who is even greater than I. The shoes of whom I'm not even worthy to untie, or the laces on the shoes I'm not even worthy to untie, which is a very interesting reference. The one thing that a disciple was not allowed to do of a rabbi, it could serve him in every way, but he was not allowed to untie his shoes. Only slaves did that. They were kind of lower down the pecking order. You were just a disciple of a rabbi. You might serve them in all sorts of ways. But to distinguish yourself from a slave, you would not tie their shoelaces. And here's John saying, no, I am not worthy even. All I can do is be a slave towards Jesus. And you get this amazing, it almost seems like a contradiction in in people's lives. And it's, it's a contradiction, or at least a paradox, that all of us, all of us, without exception, wrestle with. How can we both serve and be humble and be full of who we are? And John, I mean, Jesus is our great example. He washed the disciples' feet, but he knew who he was. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am, you know, the the door. I am the shepherd. I am 
the resurrection and the life. I, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus knew who he was. Absolutely clear about it. And yet from that position was willing to humble himself and wash his disciples' feet. And here's John, the forerunner of Jesus, showing exactly the same kind of attributes. Knowing totally who he is. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And yet also in relationship to Jesus, being willing to serve him and be humble towards him. In fact, in John's gospel, he says, you know, he must become greater, I must become lesser. That doesn't make John a lesser person. He's still the I am crying in the wilderness. But actually, true humility is going from where you are, where you rightfully are, and not standing on that ceremony, but actually lowering yourself to be a servant. That's true humility, isn't it? False humility is denying who you are. Now, this is important, folks, because we have a big job to do in the world. We have been called to transform the world. We've played our part and perhaps will continue to play a part in transforming a nation. If you weren't sure where the pharaohs are, just north of the Shetlands. Somewhere up there. If you are here at the Sunday celebration, we'd have seen Paul's little map about it. But we're, we're doing that. We're transforming education. Not all of education, but, you know, generations stretching ahead of us. We are looking to transform them with a school of the Christian ethos. We have a big job to do, don't we? So we need to be convinced about who we are and what God has called us to be in this part of human history. Only two amens to that. thought that was a bigger point. (laughs) Just check the notes. So what do you do? Uh, How how does John get this certain? That's my my big question over this passage. How does John get this certain? Well, if you look back and I recommend Mark's uh, study, Mark Henley's study on chapter one, uh, fantastic kind of opening up of of scripture. But one of the things we learned there, of course, was that John had a miraculous birth. Now, I don't, there's no doubt in my mind that Elizabeth and Zachariah would have told him about that as he grew up. (laughs) Oh, by the way, John... You might be wondering why we're kind of in our 90s or however they were, they were and how you sort of came into the world because, you know, you don't see too many, um, you know, old age pensioners walking around with little babies. Uh, let's, let me just explain that. You know, there was Angel, you know, and I went dumb and, you know, and all that stuff and, and blah, blah, blah. And you know the rest of the story. You can read it in chapter one. So here's John. He's been, he's the product of a supernatural birth. He's also the product of his father who... Uh, in more ways than one, uh, his uh, father's prophecy over him. It's, it's in chapter 1 again, isn't it? Verse 80. I think it's verse 80. Now verse 76. And you, my child, this is Zechariah, his father speaking, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Now, John might not have got that at that stage because he was still a baby. But I'm sure that Zachariah would have told him about the prophetic words that affected his life. Note to parents. Prophesy over your children. Get your children prophesied over. You have no idea the impact that's... Well, you do have some idea because I'm sure you're familiar with prophecy and what it does. But that's amazing, isn't it? What you can do for your kids even before they can understand that. 
John has a miraculous birth, but he grows up in, with a prophetic destiny. You will be, you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine out on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And as the child grew and became strong in spirit, that can be translated, and in the spirit, he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly in heaven. He had a miraculous birth. He had parents who prophesied over him. And he lived in the spirit. In fact, John, as you know, stands between the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit used to come upon people on special occasions and for special tasks, contrasted with the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is poured out on everybody. John is like, you know, the tipping point. Because it says in Scripture that he had the Holy Spirit even from birth. Mary goes to her cousin Elizabeth and the baby who's pregnant in Elizabeth's womb moves. It moves when Mary comes because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in her. And John grows up in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He lives in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he can be so assured of who he is. A miraculous birth, prophecy from his parents, and living in the power and presence of God. He is a forerunner. You, ladies and gentlemen, are forerunners of what it looks like to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not the only ones. This is not about making us look like every, different from other people. Right? But, but we are up there. We're in the forefront. You have been called to do this. To be a witness to what God looks like in a human being. You want to see God? Oh, no, no, no. That, this is where your English culture cuts in. Oh, no, surely, surely not. No, no, surely not. Maybe later. You know, when I'm 90. You know, when I'm a national treasure, you know, like, been on the telly, done a few things. No, you're forerunners now. Your kids are forerunners now. I am a forerunner. Miraculous birth, father's prophecy, living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, folks, it gets tested. What does John do most of his life once he's grown up? He goes off into the wilderness. Some people even think he became part of a a desert community called the Essenes. Sort of monastic community, whether that's true or not, nobody's absolutely sure. But what we probably can be sure about is he spent a lot of time with God. Not too many distractions apart from first and eating in the wilderness. He sort of cut himself off. And then suddenly bursts into human history. There was a time when this church was hidden. Now it's burst into the open. We used to hide in schools and community centers and places like that. Now you can't miss us from the A2. And we will become more and more and more and more visible. And I know there are many other ways in which you've been visible. You've been visible at work. You've been visible in your family. You know, I'm not saying this is it. But actually, folks, the amount of attention we are getting now is out of all scale to what we used to have. We are forerunners in the nation. 
I can remember sitting with Joel Edwards, who was then the director of uh, the Evangelical Alliance. He was just amazed to hear about what was happening here. So there's some developers who are giving you half a million pounds towards your building, thereabouts. How does that work? People who are not Christians, they're giving you money. No, no, surely it's the other way around. You know, it should be the other way around. <laughs> you know, the, the amount of, um, the kind of people that have been here, it's quite everybody from every social class, every social strata, every economic and social background, even in our first year, has been here. From lords to, I was going to say layabouts, but you know. No. <laughs> trying to think something that begins with L that isn't too derogatory. But you know what I mean? Um, anyway, other people. It's too late now, yeah. It's on the tape. I do apologise to anybody uh, who might feel that they fit into that category, which none of, none of us do. And uh, quick dis- disclaimer. So here's the question. How can you be certain? What can we learn from John that makes us certain of who we are? (laughs) Miraculous birth? Anybody owning up to that? Anybody got octogenarian parents and you just popped into the world? No. But folks, every one of you had a miraculous birth. Every one of you had a miraculous birth. Every one of you has been born again. Supernatural power of God has touched your life. Once you were going to hell, now you're going to heaven. Once you were in darkness, now you're in light. Come on! You have been changed. I have been changed. You have been changed. You are supernaturally born into the kingdom of God. There is no other way you can do that. The impossible has already started in your life. Of that you can be certain. That's why we baptize people. So that they can be certain. They can look back and say, I was baptized. It was a time when I was, you know, uh, that I died to sin and rose again with Jesus and now ascended with him and I'm seated in the heavenly places with him. Hallelujah. I can be certain. Okay, that's enough. (laughs) There are three others, but let's, you know, let's, let's dwell on that one now. You know, I wasn't born into a Christian family, so I didn't have Christian parents who prophesied over me. Isn't it interesting that they gave me the name David? They just liked the name and we had kind of Welsh background, so they liked that because for that reason. Only later was it, did, did I get that revelation of who I was. I, I, I believe God was in charge of all of that. Find out what your name means, because most names mean something, and often have some prophetic content uh, you know, involved in them. I'm just amazed at how often that seems to be the case. But folks, you have fathers and you have mothers who will prophesy over you right now. They may well have already done that. So in the family that is the church... There are other people, some may be called spiritual fathers and and mothers. But you have them, you have reliable people. If you feel you don't have a prophetic destiny, if you haven't received prophetic words that are actually steering and changing your life, folks, there are people available. Who's available to prophesy over somebody else? Stick your hand up. That's a kind of trick question because you should all put your hands up. (laughs) Put your hands up again if you're really confident of doing that. Come on, find out one of those people afterwards. 
That's what we're building here, isn't it? And it's not just for the people who are here. There will be people streaming into our church who will need to hear the word of God into their lives. And God is raising you you up as mothers and fathers to prophesy over the children who are coming in so that they can come to maturity in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's only two. What is the third one? Oh, yeah, we've kind of done the third one in a sense. So John's certainty came because he lived in the presence of God. Live in the presence of God. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep praying in tongues that edifies you inside. When you don't feel who you truly are, you know, called to be, then stir it up inside you. John was stirred at that moment by the Holy Spirit to say, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Stir it up inside you. Stir up those prophetic words that you've been given and make them yours. Somebody's given you, said, you know, you're going to be an encourager. I am an encourager. Somebody's told you you're going to make a difference in your workplace. I am going to make a difference in my workplace. You will feel a bit of a fraud because it may not have happened yet. Or you may have a slight taste of it. But, you know, being very English, we tend to minimize. Well, I'm kind of, I'm 50% of the way and maybe I'll get the other, you know, bit. So we don't like saying those things. But on the, on the witness of John the Baptist, who Jesus said, no man born to woman is greater than John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Who's he talking about? You, you, me, me and you, you and me. <laughs> Feel a song coming on. Let that go there. Luke chapter seven. Forgotten the verse, but you look it up. Luke chapter seven. He who is least in the kingdom, least. Even if you think you're a least, which is you're not. <laughs> but you, if you know, we often feel like that. Me, little old me, in my small corner. Even the least in the kingdom is greater than John. And John has this amazing certainty of who he is. So you can have this amazing certainty of who you are. That's why the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. For you to be semi-confident. Three quarters confident. No, 100% confidence. And when you read on in the story of John, you realize he does have doubts. Folks, we will have doubts about who we are. The enemy will attack you about who you are. The enemy attacked Jesus about who he was. When we look at their temptations, we'll see that again. If you are the son of God, he tried to sow doubt into his sense of identity. It's normal. It's actually a recognition of who you are that the devil tempts you in those areas. It's a confirmation. You can laugh in the face of the devil and say, ha, ha, ha. I get this. You're tempting me because I actually am that person. I am that forerunner. I have that prophetic destiny. Woohoo! So much for you. Jesus sorted you out on the cross, mate. So off you go. And there's a fourth one, isn't there? What is it? Testing. You will be tested over this. There will be times you look at this church and think, forerunners? Whew. I don't know about that. I've been a Christian for, quickly work it out, 42 years. Got saved when I was 18. Passed the 60th birthday. 
flew over the building. 61 this year. Folks, there are trials. Amen. Not many amens to that. Folks, there are trials. Amen. Blessed are those, Jesus said, who go through trials. This is paraphrasing a little bit. When you're persecuted. Actually, folks, some of your worst trials will be in the church. Because <laughs> that's a funny old family to belong to, isn't it? Have a look around. They're all very different. There will be people. Come on, get used to it. Just make this prophetic des- destination. I know there will be people who rub me up the wrong way in this church. I know there will... No, no, no. <laughs> You don't want a negative declaration. (laughs) But that's glorious. Because it's through trials and temptations, it's through working out your relationships with another, it's it's about having brave communication with another, that you build the church. You ever built a house? It's tough work. I built a couple of walls in my time, they're still standing. (laughs) It's tough work, isn't it? It's hard work. I built two terraces, actually, around two different houses. How about that? But uh, it's tough work. But the rewards are amazing. The rewards are that you get gathered up in the purposes of God, the plans and purposes of God, and you become part of those forerunners. Have you had a miraculous birth? Yes. Do you have people, trusted people, who will pray and prophesy into your life? Do you want to live in the presence of God? Do you want to go through trials? Well, not particularly, but you know, but you will. (laughs) But go through them gloriously because you are in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. That's your identity. And you've been called to be forerunners in this nation. Amen.